Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. I am always looking for the good independent podcasts out there. I wouldn't normally be listening to a science fiction podcast, but by golly, I found one because this dude is on a group with me, and I went ahead and listened, and I didn't hate it. It was actually really good, and because the word funny is in it, the funny science fiction podcast is something that I really like, and I've got Tim B. Siegel here with me. Did I pronounce that right, Tim? Close enough. But bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bicycle. Okay. Bicycle. Yeah. Bicycle. Like you're saying, like you're saying, bye to a seagull. Bicycle. I've got Tim and I've got Frank who uh, just co-hosted an episode that I was on. And Frank is actually the host of a podcast called The Warp Shelf that I haven't checked out yet. But we'll talk about that a little bit. Tim, first of all, let's talk about funny science fiction. What is this podcast all about? Funny science fiction uh, show, it's an interview-based show where we bring actors, writers, directors, content creators on, and we talk about what they like in science fiction. Or, or if they're an actor or director, we talk about their roles, what they've been doing, all this kind of stuff. And we talk about what they like about sci-fi, what they don't like about sci-fi. We, Depending on the person, we get into uh, a little bit more of uh, the deeper nerdy theory stuff of, of sci-fi. But at the same time, we like to make jokes about it and have fun with it because yeah. sci-fi doesn't have to be stuffy. And actually, Bob, in that <laughs> particular episode, it's all sci-fi should be fun. Why did you start the podcast? Of course, was is that I already had another podcast. This is my second podcast. Mm. I have another podcast called Focused on Forward, where one of my other co-hosts, his name is Josh. I interviewed him on that podcast, mm. and because his daughter, when she was born, very prematurely like a pound, 15 ounces, something oh, wow. like that. Tiny little thing. And so she had some health complications, a couple months in the NICU, all that stuff. And that was recommended to me by his dad, who I was part of his funny science fiction group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I was helping him out. I was an admin on his page. Still am an admin on his page. He's a science fiction author and writes some really cool sci-fi books. His name is Drayton Allen. And uh, he said, we should, we've got this group. And we get access to all these sci-fi people because of the group. We should do a podcast and have some fun with it. And I'm like, I got the microphone. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and that's basically how it started. We, we started just figuring out a way to go about it, how we wanted to do it. Here we are. We've had some really cool guests on so far. And we've got some really cool guests coming up. Yeah. And I'm just really, I'm really happy to be part of it. If you're into fandoms, I always say funny science fiction podcast is a great listen because it doesn't hold itself to one fandom. Of course, it's very, very sci-fi heavy, but they've also talked about video games and talked about Overwatch and and many other, and cosplay and many other mediums Mm. of nerd. Through that, you may discover something you didn't know. 
and you may get into a whole new universe, which is, that's always fun. It's always fun to find something new that you love. And I just like your approach. You don't come at it super serious. You have some fun with, I like the quiz at the end, especially since I got four out of five. It was really nice and an easy podcast. And it's an independent podcast, and I'm always waving the flag for independent podcasts because what Mark Marin and Conan O'Brien and Dax Shepard, they got enough people listening to them. You don't need to listen. Let's listen to the people that actually put the work in and are passionate yeah. about what they do and just didn't put up a podcast for the heck of it. I, they were bored I, in 2020. Yeah. yeah. And we all know <laughs> as people who do podcasts, we know the work that goes behind it because mm. we're doing most of it ourselves and right. we don't have a producer we don't have people that are doing all the editing for us we're doing it as a team and it's a lot of work yeah, absolutely you absolutely have to become a renaissance man almost immediately you yeah gotta be like oh yes i gotta figure out audio editing real yeah. quick <laughs> yeah and the other... i have a nick for that so yeah, yeah. That's, that's helpful that's helpful yeah well on this podcast i'm, I'm focused on forward i am i am the one the only i do everything over nice. there, mm. there you go. but over here i i couldn't do anything that i do over here without nick so yeah he's nice. my right hand and i have to say after doing a podcast for a while that making new friends is also a cool thing and yeah so tim you and frank was a guest on the podcast and he just co-hosted today so you guys have obviously struck up a friendship and have some similar ideas mm -hmm. i there's nothing better than that so yeah, it's pretty cool that's the one good thing about the internet is that you can find kindred spirits and actually yeah. make a friendship for with somebody that isn't necessarily in your area code yeah absolutely yeah. All you have to do is say something about not liking The Last Jedi or liking The Last Jedi, and you got a friend or a yeah. deathly enemy. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of The Last Jedi, it's because of Frank that I've actually gone back and rewatched The Last Jedi, and I don't hate it as much anymore. See? So, see? 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 Yeah. I got some insights. I got some things. Yeah. I got some good advice. I can do the stuff. I got the things. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask about is I, I haven't checked out Frank's podcast, The Warp Shelf. Can you tell me what that's all about? Yeah. So The Warp Shelf, we cover anything that can go on a shelf. It's me and my buddy, Deshaun Vasquez. We we did a podcast in college. And now we're doing one years later. And, and it's more of a review podcast. Like we will choose a topic and try to review it like we did Wonder Woman and Soul with this past, with that, their releases. Mm. And, but we also do stuff like Filthy Casual, which is exactly like every other podcast that you listen to, where we just mm. talk about what's going on and what we're watching and stuff like that. It's about two things, talking about things we love and encouraging people to see these great things. Because there's so much negativity and so much for lack of a better word, shitting on things all over the internet. Like people will constantly just like, that's hate drives clicks. Like, mm. and, mm -hmm. and, and I get that. I understand that's what drives clicks, but it's tiring. Yeah. So it's nice to listen to a podcast or, or, or tell people through your podcast about nice things, about things that are great. And that actually you would walk away from being like, that was a good time. Instead of being like, oh man, I'm glad I saw that. So I could tell everyone I hated it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yep. And one of the great things about a long-form podcast is I'm an older gentleman, and you think back to the old Dick Cavett show, that was an interview where mm. he would talk for an hour or an hour and a half to one person. And right. you really learned a lot. So I get all these pop cult culture references as a 56-year-old, 
on TV and stuff like that, and they fly by so quick, it I don't get it. And when you listen to a show like yours, Tim, the Funny Science Fiction Podcast, and I'm sure yours, Frank, the Warp Shelf Podcast, you find out what the pop culture is all about. You find out why people like it. You find out why it's a thing. Because I'm at a point in my life where on Saturday Night Live, I don't know anybody there anymore. And when they have a musical guest, I've never heard of them. The stuff that you guys are doing, it's really good. And that's why people my age need to listen to these long-form podcasts. Because, first of all, we, we're used to longer interviews. So when you listen to that kind of stuff, you actually get engrossed. I really appreciate that and the fact that you guys reach out to different people. Let's just put this out there, Tim. Who's been the guest that really, uh, I won't say favorite, who's been a guest that really surprised you on uh, Funny Science Fiction? There's two. And one of them is co-hosting with me today. Mm. So honestly, I'm not saying that's just because he's here. You can ask Nick, you can ask Drayton, any other guys. Frank's interview was one of my favorites, absolute (laughs) favorites that we did because we had so much fun and it was just talking about stuff. When we talked about what I didn't like about Star Wars, Last Jedi, one of the things I appreciated is that Frank didn't turn around and and instantly become this jerk that was like, (laughs) oh my God, I can't believe you don't like that movie uh, because he really liked it. But he explained to me why he liked that movie and maybe here's a, a, a viewpoint Oh, that maybe you can go back and watch that movie from. And he was yeah. dead nuts on. When I watched it from that, I went, oh, yeah, I see it now. Okay. One of my other favorites was also one of our, our recent ones. Her name is Shannon Perry. Shannon Perry runs a podcast called the Oz 9 Podcast. It's a sci-fi episodical podcast. It's, okay. uh, so it's like Star Trek, but with goofy characters and floating through space. Uh-huh. Yeah, I told Shannon in the in our in her interview with us, that we were moments away from from becoming BFFs because yeah. she was just so cool. Yeah. Just a couple moments into our interview, she's quoting Monty Python to me, and I'm like, I love you. Bitch. You're amazing. Yeah. So she was a great guest. She's And Frank, too. They're, they're, I like the people who can be quick on their feet. You can ask them a question. We've had some really cool people that way who, who are able to have a, a side question thrown at them because most of my questions, I, I have it all scripted out. Here's what I want to say, how I want to say it. So that way it's not me forgetting that, oh yeah, this guy was working on this or that. But I still go off, off my back end here a little bit and asking questions. And there's a lot of times, and especially if you go back and you watch Frank's interview, there's a couple of times where I'm like, what about this? Because something will <laughs> pop in my head. And, uh, and I like it when people can take that and, and just, they can pivot and, and go to it. Asked, and it's a nice asked and answer type of thing. Mm. Uh, and they can move along without them going, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. Oh. Yeah. And it's so easy because for me, if you woke me up at four in the morning and were like, I have a Star Wars opinion, I'd be like, <laughs> okay, what is it? And then <laughs> and have a whole conversation with you at one, like in the middle of the night about Star Wars things. So I have, I extremely appreciate like the, the quick on your feet, always thinking about sci-fi. And I, and I really did enjoy being on funny science fiction podcast because they, it just kept going. It kept being like, yeah, shit, what, but what else? But, deeper, but what about this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> funny science fiction takes a different view of science fiction without getting into getting mucked up in all the details and the warp shelf, I'm sure brings a lot of different experiences and a lot of different viewpoints on, on stuff. Totally appreciate people who put in that effort. And I'm glad I met you guys. Yeah. Thank you. And two, just before, before, I don't know if you're getting ready to conclude up here, but just in case, I want to make sure this gets said. If you like deep dives in this stuff, 
the warp shelf is the perfect deep dive podcast. Mm. They, they've done some really cool episodes over there. And I, if you like deep dives into sci-fi and sci-fi theory and just basic cool geek nerddom stuff, check out that check out, check out his website too, the galaxy of geek.com. I lost hours of my life (laughs) on that website. That's great. I got to say, I I appreciate what you guys are doing and I'm going to check out the warp shelf for sure. Before we, uh, get done here tim how can we find funny science fiction so my preferred way is i ask that you go check us out on youtube okay yeah we this is a funny science fiction podcast is a video podcast we do put it out in audio format on every podcast destination including iheart and amazon and pandora all the ones you got to sell a piece of your soul to get onto um but we prefer if you would go to check us out and subscribe to us on on youtube check out our videos there Okay, great. I'm the chubby guy in the glasses and the backwards baseball cap. <laughs> Frank, how about the uh, warp shelf? Yeah, you can check out galaxygeek.com, like he, like Tim was saying, where we have all these articles from a bunch of different writers that we all work together on. But that's also where my podcast lives. The Warp Shelf can be found on every podcast platform mm-hmm. and YouTube. Uh, we do a video version. And, and basically, yeah, Galaxy of Geeks, where it's all lives, or search it the way you like. Yep. Great. It's been really nice meeting you guys. It's been great talking to you, Tim, Thanks. Frank. Make, make sure, you. Folks, make sure you check, check out the Funny Science Fiction Podcast and the Warp Shelf because they're good. Okay? Thanks. Bye. I've got a gentleman who shared the spotlight as an opener for Joel McHale, Nikki Glazer, Burt Kreischer, Joey Diaz, Russell Peters, and Dave Chappelle. Holy cow. He is a frequent guest on the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom show. I can't wait to talk about that. His debut album, Dumber Than a Fish, is is available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and all the different places. Several tracks from that album can be heard on Raw Dog Comedy. Laugh USA and Comedy Roundup on Sirius XM, which is very cool. Without further ado, let's bring up my guest, Gabe Kia. Hey, Gabe. Hello. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really neat to pay attention to Facebook and have people's albums come out and uh, actually listen to them and find some great people that I didn't know about. So I found yours. I've listened to your album through a few times and really loved it. So Dumber Than a Fish is available everywhere. Make sure that if you listen on Spotify that you actually buy it too, because that's the difference of Gabe making 10 cents a year and a, a portion of 10 bucks. That's I, I always try to make sure that I tell people to do that because it, it's just that people think Spotify is paying you and they're really not. So, <laughs> yeah, I I hear you on that. I I'm all for yeah whatever. I just want you to hear the album, obviously, but obviously purchasing it helps me yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. When did you first start doing stand up? I started doing stand up around 2003. So a long time ago, and that was probably just started doing open mics at that time, probably started actually getting booked and working four or five years later, maybe 2009 started working, working on the road a little bit more and working as a stand-up comedian. But uh, yeah, I've been doing, been doing stand-up a long time. Started in St. Louis, Missouri and uh, moved to Cincinnati probably in that 2009, 2010 time period. Uh Been here about 
10 years. Cool. So what was that first open mic? It was all my friends. Uh, I knew everybody in the audience. I'd, I'd honestly come and watch a few, a bunch of shows, a bunch of open mics. And I realized when someone was brand new and they brought everybody or everybody came to see them, they were like really taken aback by that uh-huh. because it's, it's nerve wracking to get up on stage at all. Let alone when you realize, Oh my gosh, everybody here knows me. And, uh, <laughs> So I was uh, nervous about that, but I, I did well. I think I did well, obviously, because I knew a lot of my friends in the crowd and stuff. Your first few times are often like that, and then you hit that that third or fourth time where you're in a bar somewhere, and you're like, no, oh, boy, this is what stand-up's really yeah. looking at. <laughs> It's yeah, funny so. because you get I, – I talk – I think you're probably my 55th interview, and – it's a mixture of how those open mics start. Some people actually go into it intentionally. They've watched a few. They they do their homework and know that a joke should be this long or there should actually be a punchline and not just meandering around. And some people just go up because a friend pushed them up. Other people wait for years before they actually go up, but they've always wanted to. So it's a good mixture, and I know that, it's good to have all your friends there on that first one, but it is also nerve wracking in another way rather than not having anybody out there that doesn't know you because your friends, if you eat dirt, then they're going to let you know it for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that's, that can be a, it can be a tough one the first time because obviously you just don't, you have no clue about what works, what doesn't work when you get up there. and. When I told you the time period, it was a lot different scene, too. I just said, like, my third open mic was at a bar. I don't think my third open mic was at a bar. I think back in that time period, late early 2000s, the only open mic was at the club, and it was once a week. So it was, like, Tuesday, and you'd go, and you'd hope to get on the list, and there's only, like, 15 to 20 people to get on the list. Some nights you make it, some nights you won. So you perform sometimes twice a month or it's kind of what's going on now. Fewer and far between on the on the open mics. So right, no doubt. Uh, a lot, a lot of different, very different time. Have you done any of the virtual stuff? I have. Yeah, I've done I've done some Zoom shows, mm-hmm. and at first I was doing quite a bit of them, and then I, I, yeah, and I've still done some. If I get asked to do something, I'm I'm all for it. But I've been doing a, a lot of podcasts. Podcasts yeah. are big right now. <laughs> Podcasts are the new open mics. I'm yeah, like, they sure are. Of stuff I got to try out. Too, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I got my stuff ready if you want some jokes. Oh, great. That that might be cool. We could maybe workshop a couple of them. Yeah, let's do it. So who were your influences? Influences starting out, I had obvious comedians that I, and comedic actors and stuff like that that I like, like typical, like, Jim Carrey and a lot of Canadian guys. I really like Norm Macdonald when I was uh, like, I like Conan a lot. I I watched a lot of Conan and I liked how he, he was loose and riffy and would go off on tangents and just Mm -hmm. be silly. And I really like that. But once I started going, once I started doing standup comedy and that, that going to the open mics and stuff, I, I would more just watch people at, the shows and starting out in St. Louis, Missouri, I watched a lot of Greg Warren and Dan Chopin and Brett Clawson, Mike McRae, some of these guys that were, are, and Andy Smith, 
people that are, have been doing it longer than me that I, men and women that were doing, that all had a unique style mm-hmm. of, of what they did. And I really did enjoy, and I still enjoy watching live stand-up comedy much more than like a special or something on TV or something like that. So once I, my influence has changed to like basically who was in my proximity and who was performing a lot. And then those are the people that talked to me too and told me how to do stand-up comedy, how they did it, how they learned to do it, Mm -hmm. different aspects of that. So all those people that I named there were around the, in the St. Louis area when I was starting out. And they were also more established comedians. There's people that were, coming up at the same time as me or like people that have went on to have excellent careers that I, I learned a lot from mm-hmm. Tommy John again, Nikki Glazer, those people are from St. Louis yeah. area as well. Andy yeah. Woodhall. Yeah. Tommy Johnigan's he's great. He's one of one of my big ones. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's one of he's one of my all time favorites. I remember the first time I saw him on stage, I was like, whoa, he's this good. <laughs> he's different. Yeah. He's like, got he a is. style. <laughs> So this changes the pace a little bit. This is something I like to know because I, I'm a voracious reader and listener of podcasts and music and stuff like that. Are, have you listened lately to any books, podcasts, music, read an article, anything? Have you had anything that just turned on a light bulb for you and gave you some new stuff to think about, new stuff that maybe may change your act a little bit or anything like that? I've read, I read Sam Talent's book. I'm actually, I haven't totally finished it. So I shouldn't, I'm in the middle of reading Sam Talent's book. Mm -hmm. I really like that. That's a real, if you've ever worked the road or done some road gigs, that's a very accurate depiction of working stand-up comedy on the road. Yeah. I, I was given by a neighbor. I was given the book that it's like the story of me. And it's by the person that wrote the comedy Bible, the same person that did that. Okay. And I usually don't, like, I don't, when I started, I didn't read a lot of stand-up comedy books and Mm -hmm. how to, and even getting that from a neighbor was like, thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the book on how to (laughs) become a stand-up comedian. I'm like, I already am. I don't need a book. Yeah. (laughs) But out of, I was like, let me check this out. And I read a little bit about it. And and I really liked what the, the person was saying. And I. I, I found parts that I already do, and it's not like my perceived notion of him giving me the book. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff. This is what this is. This is how I write, and this is uh-huh. what I write about. And I like writing autobiographical as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a really good book that someone that a neighbor gave me that kind of offended me. Um, <laughs> and, but and I really like the podcast middle of somewhere with Cy Amundsen and Chad Daniels. Oh, and I've okay. Been, I haven't heard oh, of that one. Oh, it's really good. And I've been listening to that. Just like I, I was driving recently and I would just listen to four episodes in the, in a row. Uh-huh. And both those guys are from Minnesota. One lives in Minneapolis. One lives up North in Fergus falls. And they have a really great podcast. Very funny. Both very hilarious guys, but also like fast pace. And uh-huh. you'll listen to three episodes and be like, what? Oh, that was three hours? How'd that happen? Wow. Yeah, really like that podcast. I really wish I had more time in the day to listen to all the podcasts I want to because you, you just gave me that one and I've got 15 on my list that I still want to listen to. So it's hard. And I'm not driving as much as I was. So don't get to plug that in as much. Yeah, exactly. You know? And uh, and my wife, when we're listening to podcasts, 
when we're driving together, she just likes murder, serial murder stuff. So, yeah. And those are okay. It's a change of pace. She's like, you're like, some of these people kill. Yeah. Really good killers. <laughs> yeah, for <swear>. sure. <laughs> Last question for the rapid round. What comedy album or special would you consider to be your all-time favorite? And you can go top three if you want. Ooh, comedy album or special to be my all-time favorite. How many people say their own is number one? Probably a lot. Um, no. <laughs> you know what? I really, I don't have a lot of favorites, but there are some, there's an album that Jimmy Pardo recorded at Go Bananas Comedy Club where he's riffing the whole time. I really like that one. I can't even think of the name of it, but that's super funny. Mm-hmm. And then I could say, yeah, any of Tommy Johnigan's stand-up one, two, or three, those are all excellent. And anything Andy Woodhall has out, I always like his, he's one of my favorite comics as well. Mm. So there you go. Very cool. Very cool. Now, as far as, I want to do this live just because I know how hard it is for comedians to do anything right now. And you recorded this album, Dumber Than a Fish, last year, but you put it out this year. What's it like putting an album out during a pandemic? Was it all the working parts you have to do pretty much remotely? How was it just business-wise putting it out? That is a difficult part. I was very fortunate to have recorded at a club in January. So okay. a few months before the, sh- the clubs had shut down. Mm-hmm. And I have friends I have friends that like had their album artwork made. They had the week set out. And then it was like in March or April that they were supposed to record their album. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine if I was, if that was the scenario with me, I would be, uh, be hard to deal with, but there's so many aspects of doing an album and putting an album together all from first off is booking the right situation. Like sometimes some people like to do a one night, Mm. tell everybody I'm recording an album. It's this Wednesday night at this comedy club and pack the room out and have one shot. And then that's it. That's the album. You're not, you can edit it together, but there's no, and then the other aspect would be like the week of comedy where you like record every, every, night and then what i did is i did that and i searched for the base good show that was like this is the one i want to work with and then i can take some cut some pieces out put some pieces in from the other shows Mm -hmm. which isn't as easy as as it would sound but that's what i also had to do remotely at first we were i was meeting with this uh, a local comic clinton jacob doing an excellent he does an excellent job of sound engineer and uh editing and he was putting together the stuff. We we met probably four or five times, had three or four hour sessions of just listening to me over and over again. Very very painful for both of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. I really don't like listening to myself, especially with someone there. Yeah. That you're like, oh, yeah. that's uh, oh great. You get to hear that. Too. I'm very I mean, much the same. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can hear all of it. I think we went through the Sunday show, and I was just like. Hey, can we just stop? Let's just stop. We don't need to listen to the second half of this. You could just tell that the laughter was like so much different than all the other. So it was like, this would totally stick out if we added it onto the album. Yeah. So that's a difficult part. That does take some time and, and it does take some coordination, communication, all that's important to have with, if you're doing it through a record label or if you're self-producing or however you're doing it, you want to have everybody on the same page. You want to pay everybody well 
ahead of time, not pay them like once the album comes out, I'll pay you. I was like trying to make sure everybody's taken care of as they're doing it. Artwork. They're not waiting on any money from the guy that should be paying. I'll pay him. And then if, if he, when he pays you, you can get me back or whatever. Yeah. I had a local comedian, Chris Weir. He did the artwork for the, the cover there that he basically came up with the concept just from, me telling him this is what the title is going to be. And the uh-huh. title is the tag of my last or my opening joke. Right. The, the first, the last line of my first joke is what the album is uh, named after. And Clinton helped me come up with that name too. I was, I had a few different ideas of what to do and, mm. but I, I like it. It's unique. It's uh, it draws you into dumber than a fish. What's that mean? Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of it. Also uh, funny and I'm talking about how comedy's done as a community. The line, dumber than a fit, it used to be, I think, I would talk about, like, the state over the state and how they all think they're stupid, and you get down to Mississippi, yeah. and they're like, fish, they're stupid. <laughs> and I think I had something like, the Gulf of Mexico, that's the dumbest state. Before that, I had a different line that I was doing in the joke, and a very, one of my, one of the comedians I looked up to starting out, Robert Hawkins, told me the, why don't you just say, fish and he's just fish uh-huh. just say the word and it worked beautifully and it was like oh you changed my whole joke robert thank yep. you <laughs> and then i didn't even think about that until the album's made it's out and then i'm like oh my gosh even the title is given to me am i just like a total hack yeah like, take anything you got, people. Come on. yeah you can take yeah. all the help you can get but yeah that that opener is just fantastic and i think dumber than a fish really fits the tone of the album anyway so it's really good thanks good yeah that opener is also obviously changes depending on where you are mm-hmm. and where if i'm in indiana i can still kentucky's still relatable there but yeah. sometimes if you're in oklahoma you'll be like how do you feel about texas and yeah. they're like eh, we know that you know like, yeah <laughs> it's, it seems to work pretty much anywhere and uh, yeah it's, it's it's just a it's an observation of observational comedy right you know, that's Usually yeah. what people go in and they make fun of Kentucky. That's just that's <laughs> what they do when they go to Ohio. Yeah, no doubt. I really enjoyed your album, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. I really enjoyed the fact, okay, there's a lot of angry comics out there now, and there's a lot of low-energy comics out there now, and which I like both of them. I'm not saying that they're, that's not that's a bad thing, but you come like right in the middle as far as energy it feels like a conversation like you're in a room with your friends and you're just talking about stuff and that's one of the things i really enjoyed about it because sometimes you don't want somebody yelling at you and sometimes you 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 don't want to be with somebody who thinks they're smarter than everybody in the room and shows it in their punchlines and their comedy and stuff like that so i felt this is just somebody who's in the room i'm very comfortable listening to him you're not you're not screaming at me you're not uh trying to challenge me and say i'm stupid or anything like that so that i really that's what i really enjoyed about it that's good that's a very nice way to to put where i'm what i'm where i'm at yeah because you're right i do have like a high energy but it's not a angry or forced energy and it's a like my my, on my toes when I'm on stage, I like to bounce around a little uh, bit. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, like that sort of energy. So I'm definitely like not low energy, but I also am, I think it's 
indicative of where I work too. I work a lot of different type of venues. So mm. I do like a college that's all 20 year olds that don't know what nepotism means because uh-huh. they've never experienced yeah. it. <laughs> I can do like an older VFW hall that's all 65 year old Q-tips. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they, they, those people could be easily offended if my humor is all just about pop culture or youth yeah. or whatever's going on now is a mix of all that stuff. So then I also don't have to, and that's what I built in my act basically is it's my, my 30 to 45 minutes that I can take around and do anywhere. Mm. And then I add other stuff in there and slip. Obviously the album's got a lot. There's a portion of the album. That's a lot of the newer stuff that I've been working on in the last six to eight months. Mm. And then the other portion is jokes that I've been doing because it's my first album. It's like, that's 10 years old. That joke has been. Yeah. <laughs> that joke can almost drive. That's Yeah. yeah that's, you need the anchors to, to make that flow. Yeah, I can understand that. So let's think about where you are now and the style that you're doing now. Is that something that evolved or were you a totally different type of comic when you started? I would say I was a totally different type of comic. I, I think when you asked me my influences in the rapid part, I was thinking the uh, first thing that came to mind was Dane Cook. And uh-huh, yeah. not, but I did Dane Cook at the time. I probably got told, I got a lot of, you remind me of Dane Cooks, mm. but that hasn't happened in 10 years. Not because I don't, I still sound just like Dane Cook, but no one, no, no one listens to Dane Cook. No, I'm right. just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I used to, I think that was, and it also might be a, like a physical, like a similar looking guy. Maybe I didn't have a beard back then also too. Maybe that's why I grew a beard. I'm yeah. like, uh, he doesn't have this, yeah. right? <laughs> he might now. You never know. Yeah, he probably does. He probably, <laughs> beard and flannel. Yeah. As <laughs> far as a progression of where you were more, I guess if you're being compared to Dane Cook, you were a little bit more wacky, a little bit more outlandish and, and all that kind of stuff. Where did you finally say, okay, I'm going to be this guy, and you became the guy that I just heard listening to your album? I wouldn't say there was any point where that I, like – like how you just described became that person. I think it's just like I was saying over time and from the places that I've worked that it makes you that type of comedian. But, uh, but I think, I think there is a path if you, so if you want, if you read my Facebook or my Twitter, you'd be like, this guy talks about politics all the time because Mm -hmm. it's like very, and especially in the last four years, things have gotten more political. And I, it's funny when you look at your memories and you're like, I'm like, Oh gosh, was I really just like, I get a memory from, what was it right after Trump got elected? And it was just like every day was politics. And I'm like, man, I got to get away from that. But it's so easy because it's just what the news cycle gives you. If that's what you're getting, then that's what you're going to talk about. And that's what you're going to get. You're going to get feedback or reactions from maybe. But so I, I like to have my political viewpoint in my comedy somewhat. But but like you said, I don't want to, I'm not trying to bash it over your head. I'm not trying to make you feel like I've got the answer and you so I just try and do it in, in a very coming from your perspective. This is my perspective sort of way. Right. And that might come from me growing up in a very conservative Republican um, household, being that type of 
political. When in the early 2000s, I was very Republican. I worked on Republican campaigns. I was like very politically driven in that sense. And then I just had had an, had a shift and a change. And it was around the time they started doing stand up. I don't think it had anything to do with stand up per se. It was mm-hmm. more more just where I was in my life. And I was probably at that point when I was still hanging out with a lot of people from high school, a smaller group that were people like me demographically. And then as I not just started doing stand-up, but also had some different jobs in the real world, you're interacting with a lot more diverse people from diverse backgrounds and you get, get a chance to see yourself in a different light, just like as you would if you traveled to Asia, Europe, anywhere, anywhere else. And I'm, my parents are both Canadian. I grew up here in the States. I went to school here, but I had a lot of Canadian influence too by going back and forth mm-hmm. my whole life. And I still have, my sister lives up in Canada and then I have two sisters that live in the U.S. So those are my COVID sisters. Uh-huh. And my sister in Canada, she's the one that did get COVID. So we, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty simple on how, yeah. how, how to break it down. One of the things that you said there really got me because it's funny because I'm like you. It took me longer. I was a pretty conservative Republican dude for a long time, too. And I watch my kids, and they're both grown now, and they expanded their cultural horizons as they were growing up. And my son actually was pretty conservative, too, before he got out of the house and they're both one of them's on by D up by DC and the other one's down in Alabama, but in Huntsville. And it's funny how they've changed and I've changed by watching how they change. And, and totally feel that. Yeah. And it's cool to, to be open to that because there are people who could be bombarded with different viewpoints and different cultures and stuff like that and they still have that wall up and they're going to be who they are no matter what they're never going to change and uh it's it's great to hear about somebody who kind of changed took evolved and actually listened to stuff because there is a point where some people just don't do it anymore and uh it's good that you did yeah yeah I i really didn't think about that too much until recently when I was just explaining to somebody that like how I used to, and they were like, Oh, that you've got a really good perspective. Then you've, you've seen both sides. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I am both sides. There's way more than two sides to anything, especially politics. Right. But I think I worked on a lot of damage. So I, I shifted more. I, I would classify myself as more of a liberal. I'm not a Democrat. I don't, I'm not really affiliated with a political party yeah. until there is, in Ohio, the only time you have to be affiliated is when you ask for a ballot on a primary. So mm-hmm. that's the only time you're a Republican or a Democrat, and you have to ask for that specific ballot. Otherwise, I think that is it's obviously like people want to put you in a – just if you're a comedian, you're doing crowd work. You want to put a person in a box. Where yeah. are you coming from? One way or the other. It's easier <laughs> to deal with that. And and I think of it as, as there's a lot more – and, I, and what I was trying to say, too, is I worked on a, a bunch of Democrat, Democratic candidates, political campaigns after I did the other side. And now and then after that, I was like, like telling people that are like, hey, we're, we're getting names for this year's Democratic uh, vote, voter turnout thing. And I'd be like, yeah, lose my number. I don't want any part of it. You know? uh-huh. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm mad at them now 
I'm like, you really ruined it this last year. Like, <laughs> but I think that's American politics is no one can get it. And it, the easiest thing or the, the hackiest thing as a comedian is I hate both sides. I don't want to hear that either. Yeah. Like, On the other hand, most reasonable people would just like somebody who is fit for the job to be in there. And it doesn't even matter what political party. So just don't let the country fall apart, please. That's all we need right now. (laughs) Yeah, people are like, 2020, whoa. And I'm like, let's not forget how we got here. Yeah. (laughs) This wasn't some weird accident. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you talked about in the album about growing up in a – like you said, a very conservative Christian household. How did that affect you getting into the comedy world? Because, you know, I know people can be a little bit shielded from the world when they're in a, in a very conservative household like that. And the comedy world is totally different in the, you can see a lot of different types of people at an open mic. And how was there a shock factor for you when you did that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I just, I went to a private Christian high school too. So I was sheltered in general in that way. But I just, I, the best way I could say is I never wanted my mom to come to an open mic because it would, it just would be like, that's what she, if, when I was in high school, she'd be like, you're not allowed to hang around these kids. Yeah. Like she would just hear <laughs> what they have to say and be like, oh, you can't go to these things anymore. This yeah. Is bad. And so I always shielded her. I was over. I was like, "No, you can't come to watch me or any of it." And then I think I waited till ten years in, and I finally got like opportunity to headline a show. At, at, and and just like I thought, there are a few people on the show, and that's all my mom talked about. After I can't believe that woman said that thing, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, um, I knew you would be like this." Yeah. She's, yeah, she's very, and I think that in another aspect that has helped me is I'm usually just cleaner in general. Mm-hmm. Like my, my comedy is pretty clean. And honestly, when I was working with, with Clinton, the guy that helped me edit the album, he was always encouraging me to put more, he's leave that in. That's good. That makes it good. Uh-huh. Cause you can tell it's not, it's me out of my element and being a little looser right. when I am dirty. Because I'm not definitely not like a dirty comedian or by any means, but I can be. I can I can use whatever, can use the, a good f bomb to to get them back on my side if I need to or something like that. But but I was trying. My mindset was I don't want this. I want to take the dirtiness out so yeah. I can get it on serious. And yeah. That's what I was concerned about. I'm like I want to sell out over here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> want me to be like good no it's more true as an artist or yeah honey like that's what it's so much better to be on three channels on Sirius than just one yes because yes. so many are just on raw dog or they're on the the clean one whatever the clean one is so it's funny it's better because obviously it's more exposure more plays and all that. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a plus in your type of comedy. And I didn't count how many times you swore or you went into explicit subject matter, but it was probably maybe three minutes of the whole thing, even if that. Yeah, and there's the one that my daughter's sparkle, My her mom had a sparkle on her face. Yeah. That's a joke that I can't do <laughs> if it's if I can't. Like, if they're like, oh, you can't say no F-bombs. Yeah. I'm like, 
that joke's not going to work. There's yeah. no clean version of that joke. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, everything's well placed, and it's not like a whole. It, it's just not a whole uh, barrage of fuck yous all over the place, and that's it's refreshing. But also, I've because I'm clean, pretty much. I'm a lot like you, pretty clean, and. Mm-hmm. As a new comic, it's hard to be like that without thinking that you're the odd guy out because you have three comics go on before you that have dick jokes and all that, and that's all they do, or real serious drug humor or something like that, and then you come up and you think that the audience isn't going to respond. And sometimes it's harder like that but one of the things i've found and i tell comics that want to be clean is that it doesn't matter what you say you just got to be funny the audience has no expectations until you start talking and that's hard for some comics because some comics actually that were giving me notes and giving me advice said you got to say fuck more and i'm like no cuss like a sailor in real life but that i just i don't have the look and i don't have the the demeanor of somebody who cusses and did a lot of drugs when he was young so it's totally out of place yeah be more like me yeah (laughs) i think someone said that about any comic that gives you advice is is any comic is just telling you how they do comedy so it's good to know that and it's good to also remember that it's good to be true to yourself or to do what do what from growing up. I, I think I'm, that's one of the things I'm really thankful of the way I was brought up and now how, how my comedies turned out is I'm glad that I have that, that I have that cleanness or perceived cleanness, at least slight right. cleanness. That's the funny part is like when I did see my album come up and it showed all the explicit tracks and I was like that many, but yeah. it's all usually just like a line in each. Right. Yeah. It's one thing maybe, but it is, it's child. It's got to be. See what I'm scared of is my daughter growing up. If she's like totally desensitized, because I'm just like, ah, oh, tell her whatever, and then I'm like, how's this gonna end up? She's, she's gonna be like, yeah, you gotta say fuck more in your comedy. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to say it, just say it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably an advantage to be brought up in a very conservative household because a lot of comics who weren't don't understand how to talk to somebody who's conservative or gear their comedy towards it. And Mm -hmm. they, they get this idea in, in their head that a conservative Christian is this cookie cutter person who's got a pretty low IQ and never reads a book and all this kind of stuff. And that's just not true. They're smart and they can handle some edgy stuff. There's just certain lines that they don't want to hear. And that's got to be an advantage for you. Yeah. I'm thinking back to like when I was watching comedy when I was a kid and when my mom would change the channel, she'd be like, that's enough of that. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, so that's the line. Right. Right. (laughs) That's where she loses her crap. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I really liked about your album, and this is another thing where comedy advice comes in, that you are able to mix the personal stuff along with observational stuff, and it just flows 
in between that. And the funny thing is most comics that give you advice will say either be a personal comic or be an observational comic, pick one. And you're able to navigate that without, without looking, there's a hard stop to your joke and, and then a new joke coming up. That's good. Did you, are you aware of that and try to make it so that your personality and your personal experiences are like congruent with the observational stuff that you do? I think that would probably be something that would be more subconscious or when I'm preparing my sets, the way I group things together, Mm -hmm. I'm looking for when I write my set lists out, I usually group two or three jokes together and then two or three jokes like that. And they can flip and I might have little notes later, like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I did this a lot later. And I like to put stuff together that just flows nicely to the next joke. So you don't have a lot of, pauses or long pauses or anything like that Mm -hmm. so i think that naturally or just automatically in my brain just like gets broken down like that back and forth but i think it also comes back to what we were talking about before and just having like trying not to be just one specific type of thing like you said like some of it's personal and some of it's some of it's observational you can be both and you can be both in the same joke probably even or but i'd probably put the observational or the what i would say topical like something about yeah i think i I did something about chick-fil-a and then i did something about turtles and (laughs) paper straws and plastic straws in my brain i'm just grouping that as going out to eat like these are things that you hear when you go out to eat or Mm. and i think a lot of comics like jim gaffigan will go from he'll go from one one subject to the and it's all like food and you're like did he just was he just at the food court and like all right that place and then writes a joke about yeah. that looks at the <laughs> next one there we got one for that uh, <laughs> i did a workshop with uh, a guy i respect but i'm not going to say who it was because he, i think he gave me bad advice because i do the same thing i go from observational to personal stuff and it's amazing how similar my act is to yours without being anything like it because I'm me. But the, he told me that I need to pick a lane and, and I was like, I don't know about that because it's all funny. I've made people laugh with it. No, I'm, (laughs) I decided not to take that advice. I think the personal, the, the benefit of the personal is that, there's less chance of you having parallel thinking with someone yes. else, which, yeah. which honestly that someone, I, I talked to a comic that I was working with and he was like, Oh, this other guy's got a great joke just like that about turtles and mass shootings. And I was like, what? No, I'm like, that I came up with that. And then I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know what? That has nothing to do with my family. It has yeah. nothing to do with me personally. Anybody could have thought of that anywhere. Yeah. You, I obviously want to be original and don't want to have a lot of stuff that other people have. And especially when you get to those audition situations where, you know, it's five minutes, get it ready for this festival or yeah. this, something that could lead to a TV or something. You want to have something that is more more yourself, I think. Mm. More the, the that, that way it's just not – even though I think that – that joke that I was just the turtle joke that was really good right now. This is really topical, and I sent that to a festival, and I was like, "Yeah, there's no way I'm not getting it." And then I didn't get in with it, and I was like, <laughs> "I'm like," and then I taught, and then I worked with someone, and they told me that like several other people, and I was like, "That could have been it too. Maybe I was just throwing them in the pile of the turtle jokes." There's just they're all 
doing jokes about turtles or something. Yeah, I have never heard anything like that one, but there's a lot of comedy out there. Yeah, no, thank you. I I never heard anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I was working with Byron Bowers at the Funny Bone, and he very good comic. He's in the movie Honey Boy Uh with LaBeouf, and he said he honestly he was telling us about masks too. This was in like February before the lockdown. Mm And he had this mask, and he was like, I was just in Japan. He's this is what everybody wears in Japan. Everybody wears this outside. Yeah. He was making jokes about how if he wore this around town here, he'd be like, I'd get shot for wearing this. You can't wear a mask. In the, but uh, very insightful, very ex, very good comic. And then he told me, he was like, oh, Orny Adams, he's got that turtle uh-huh. mask shooting. And I was like, no, that guy's, <laughs> that guy's bigger than me. He's got more... <laughs> Gonna get more play on that, but yeah. but it, it yeah it's honestly there's a that's a, there's another thing with that too. If you hear somebody doing a similar joke to yours, I think that the state over the state joke. I heard Bill Burr do a similar joke about New York and New Jersey and mm. how they hate each other. There's this big rivalry, right. but the same people. It's the exact same stuff. Yeah, I was listening and I was like, oh man, that is exactly <laughs> like what I was talking about. But yeah. then I'm thinking. Well, I like Bill Burr and I like his take on it. And I'm not, obviously mine is unique to myself where I've got the Canadian line at the end because I'm Canadian. So it's, it's an observation that anybody could make, but I try to make it unique to myself at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, that's another one. You can't take that out. That's one of your best bits, hands down. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So as far as you see it and you're like, does that mean I'm done doing this? Yeah. (laughs) But I think as a comedian, you really, we worry about that stuff. Obviously, we yeah. don't want to be seen as someone that's that's doing a bunch of stuff that other people are doing or perceived as someone that, that heard someone do that joke and then wrote their own take on it. Like, you never know how you're being judged or perceived by the audience or your peers or other, mm-hmm. other people that are already seen and stuff. So those things all come into my consideration, and I like to overthink them as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Like every comic, yeah. Like every comic. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because a lot of comics do an album pretty much so that they can get on Sirius on one or three of the channels like you're on, and that's because that's really the only way you're going to get paid because Spotify is not going to pay you. Pandora is not going to pay you much. You, it's just nickels and dimes, whereas Sirius, you can actually make a little bit of bank doing that. What's the process to get your comedy on there? Is it like a submission just like for a festival, or what do you do to get on there? It is. It, it, it can be connections with people that are serious, mm-hmm. or in my case, I, I, would, I did my record through On Tour Records, and I know – Ross Duncliffe, who runs on tour, has a good relationship with Sirius XM, and he has a lot of his artists get picked up. Not all of them get picked up, but some of them get picked up. Some of them. So I knew that he had these relationships there, and was hopeful that I might get on one channel, let alone three. I was very when he sent me that message. It was very, uh, very happy day. Yeah, (laughs) I was. I agree with that, and we're also at the point where my first thing about an album was just to sell after shows and to have an have a have the material that I would feel bad about doing the exact same thing that's on that 
So yeah. I'm motivating myself that I have to move on from a lot of this material at the same time too, which might've been my fear of not doing an album sooner because I, I was right at the point where maybe I didn't feel like I had quite enough material to headline or to mm. have to not do, to not use some of my best bits in a set. But so there's that, there's the motivation to move on, write more and create more. And then mostly was to sell albums after the show, which mm. I, now I'm not even, I didn't even, I don't have any, I don't have any hard copies I haven't even ordered digital download cards because I'm just not working that much. Yeah. And there's not that many shows that, but I really need to, I need to follow up on that. And I even might need to, even though I've gotten a different advice from different club owners, club managers, people that work around the business, see comedians come in and hear comedians complain about having CDs and having a closet full of these things. And no one ever buys them because everybody wants a digital download card or something. Yeah. But I think people also want to, when you're at a comedy show, it's like why they'll buy a t-shirt or whatever afterwards. They just want to tip you. They want to maybe get a picture with you instead of an autograph on your CD, but maybe they want to get an autograph on a hard copy of something, maybe an album, maybe a vinyl, maybe a vinyl thing that would be more of a collector's collector's thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that was my main motivation before was to just, have an album, have something I'm proud of, have something that I could sell after shows. I used to, I used to sell my buddy Mike Cody's CD after my show, and I'd be like, "Hey, if you want to, if you want to buy a CD, I got one after the show. It's not me." Yeah. I, I know I, first, I'd say nothing you heard tonight's on here because it's not me. Yeah. This is my buddy's album. It's just really good, and I think you should check him out. He's from Cincinnati, also. Yeah. And, yeah, that did not go over all the time, uh, uh. but, but it, did, it was quite funny and quite fun to do for a little bit. I like you hit on something really cool that I, I, I would like to see more comics do, and that's the vinyl, because vinyl's huge now, and small runs are... It's it's a, bit, a lot more available than it used to be. Dan Cummins used a friend of mine. He's got a record company down in Indy, uh, Romanus Records. He used him to do his last album and put it out that way. And they sold out a couple times. They did a couple different runs and sold out a couple times. But he does really cool stuff with it. He'll put liquid in it. He's got vinyl with remote control lights and stuff like that he does really neat stuff with it but that creates a memory and that's also what a cd does because you're looking at it and even if you never take the wrapping off and you only listen on spotify you've got it and you bought it and it always reminds you oh yeah gabe was funny so that keeps a memory in your mind and a lp really even does more the funny part, when you were asking me about favorite albums or specials, I was thinking of a few of buddies of mine that gave me their album, and I really like, like, Brett Erickson's merch is uh -huh. one that comes to mind. But then I also still, I know his album, I've worked with them several times, I know all the jokes in there, but it's still wrapped in plastic, and I haven't even, yeah. been, like, yeah. opened it. So then I was, like, thinking, I was like, can you honestly say that's your favorite, that you that it's still, but I also, I just want the physical copy. I just want yep. to to have that and have a collection of, of different people. Now I'm thinking of all those. See, I just got to go get them and I'll like, flat yeah. Here's some of my favorites. Yeah, I do. And I do that with both music and comedy. Cause I've got, I've got vinyl all over here and I don't have a turntable. 
and I'm not oh, going to get it. one because my hearing is so fucked up that it does, I, I don't hear the nuances anymore. So why bother? But yeah. I, if I see neat vinyl, I'm still going to get it. So just because I want to have it. But yeah, it, it's neat to, and it's different. I'm trying to think of the aesthetic of giving somebody a business card size card for a download versus a physical CD. And every time I've walked away with a physical CD, I feel obligated to follow that comic more. I don't know why it's, it's just something that's underlying, I guess it's not even spoken, but yeah, it's just, it's weird. That's, that is, see, I'm also, I'm 41, so I'm in the age group of CDs weren't even, I was around before CDs with tapes and stuff, so cassette tapes and and records, but, so my age group, like, I want, I don't really, even though I know I can just download it, I don't even need a digital download card, I can just go get it with your name on my phone and go into iTunes and get it, Yeah. but, but there's still something that is, is about that physical copy that, that is, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to change my mind on that. I told someone, I was like, I would pay, I know it costs like a little bit more money, but I would pay probably like a thousand dollars just to have one of my CD. Yeah. Be like, oh, I got it. I made it. Yep. This. I've got 900 other ones. Yeah. Want, oh, that's great. Thinking about, as we're wrapping up here, thinking about your entire career, what would you say is the best and worst advice you ever got? Ooh, best and worst advice. I probably won't. The worst advice won't come to me. This It'll yeah. come to me like later tonight and I'll be like, oh, that was it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you probably, I probably block that stuff out a lot of times, but, but I've had, a, I, yeah, I've had people just like you said, you had some people say, you, you gotta be dirtier you gotta say fuck more so i've had some people give me some advice like that you gotta do it like this or something and i just would be like uh then a lot of i think a lot of people tell you where where to go and what to do like you got to move here and then you move there and then you move this and i don't i'm not really i moved to cincinnati to go against the moving to new york or la i was like i want to move somewhere else but i just i don't want to move to the place where every other comic is moving yeah. basically. And uh, I've not gotten on TV. So I've been, <laughs> I don't I didn't get, I didn't get that late night spot or whatever, but there's some things that will, but it doesn't mean that I'm not doing comedy more or less than someone that's living in, in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, or those bigger market cities and, or LA. So I think the moving part and where I should move and what I should have, I'd say that's probably some of the best or worst advice that I've gotten. People tell you like how to, what's best to, for your career. But I think you, you listen to what everybody has to say. Obviously they're saying that for a reason. Yep. Just like I said, when I was like, I didn't give the, I'm not on late night. Yep. That's in my mind. I'm like, I'm not on there because I didn't move. And I'm like, is that really why? Yeah. What if I, <laughs> if, because I moved there and they're like, Oh yeah, come on right away. Yeah. No, that's not necessarily how it works, but but I think there is, and I think stand-up's changing with the way the pandemic has affected things. And it was like this before, where there's less feature act comedians or opening comedians traveling around the country, whereas every scene has their own openers. So basically, a lot of people, they either open for somebody, like there's a headliner that brings them along, mm-hmm. and 
or they are they're just in their local area scene and they're the person that's called when when one needs to know some of those people that you named at the beginning i was like yeah. just person coming through town and they're looking for an opener yeah and <laughs> sometimes it's a club manager recommending me sometimes it's a radio personality recommending someone from the area that knows that i can follow or that i could come through in that sort of situation doing, mm. doing 15 to open up but uh, but i think oh, i got at one of the, a really good one was i got asked to open for tracy morgan here in Cincinnati and it was my sister's wedding uh-huh. and I was like on my way to St. Louis to go to my sister's wedding and I like got this phone call like Tracy Morgan needs an opener I recommended you and I remember just thinking oh man uh-huh. now I gotta call my sister and tell her I can't come to a wedding <laughs> so instead I went to my sister's wedding and I just told everybody that story to make myself feel like oh I, I sacrificed a lot for this yeah this is why your gift is small. <laughs> yeah, this is a good. This is a good way to name drop and humble brag at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I. It's funny. I talk to a lot of comics who have relocated to one of the coasts, and their advice is not to relocate to the coast because they're doing all their work in the Midwest or you know the North or the South. So they mm-hmm. they're paying for travel. They're paying fifteen hundred bucks for a studio apartment, and they've got nothing to show for it, and they can't get on stage in L.A. or New York to save their life. It's one of those. It's one of those things. It's a catch twenty two. You're not gonna. Yeah. You're not gonna get the big jobs there, but you're also not gonna work anywhere but Midwest anyway, because that's where most of the pay is right now. Yeah, and that's. That's been building or been the norm in the last few years. I think everything's changing with the pandemic. And honestly, it might be where some people, like you hear someone, I heard someone was moving to New York and I was like, right now, that's a good idea. Yeah. But then I'm like, maybe right now is, maybe that is, no one else is. So it, it could be, it might be uh, a good time yeah. for that stuff. So Great. So Gabe, where can people find you online if they want to find your stuff? Online, you can you can go to my website. It should link to all my social media on there. We'll have a link to my album as well. Gabe Kia on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat. You can find me on uh, Instagram as Abe Lincoln T-shirt, but I think Gabe Kia will take you to Abe Lincoln T-shirt as well. That's the only one where I have a weird screen name because uh-huh. I was <laughs> I, I probably made that before I realized I was like I should probably do the same thing on every one. Yeah, That's probably the best way to do it <laughs> for marketing if I have a, a unique name. But yep, get Kia, Google it. I used to have a business card that was, it just said, it was just Google and my name. Yeah. It was like simplest <laughs> thing. And ended up having my car broken into and someone stole a thousand of those out of my car. And I was like, I'm not buying another thousand. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and what are they going to do with them? <laughs> oh man, that person was so pissed. They saw this FedEx box that looked like it was worth some money and yeah. I opened it up. And they looked at that dumb little business card and we're, so, there's, that still brings me joy. Yeah. You know, how they were. <laughs> oh, that's nuts. Thanks so much for being on the show. This was a good chat and I wish you the best of luck because I, I, I just really enjoyed your album and it made me go out and watch all your YouTube videos and stuff. So it was really good. Oh, great. Thanks. I got I, the album's better than the YouTube videos, everybody. The YouTube videos are like, <laughs> The raw versions of those jokes are sometimes different jokes, but yeah, but no, I really appreciate you having me on. Scott, yeah, and, uh, good to meet you. Good to hang out for a little bit and talk comedy. Love doing it. Thank you. And- well, 
Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot.